the Virtue Cafe, the Shekilala Salami Show, and I'm your host, Shekilala Salami. And yay! You know, we got there at the end. My cold is gone-ish. I think it's like 99% gone. And, you know, it's a nice sunny day in London, and I'm just reacting. So who have I got in the Virtual Cafe with me today? <laughs> Rick. Rick and Nancy Monsapapa. <laughs> We are having an amazing day here in Tampa, Florida as well. I, I think it's as sunny as here as it is there in London, right? I can imagine. Well, it is really sunny and the temperature seems, I've not checked what the temperature is right now, but it seems quite warm. Yeah, it's quite a, it's almost a beach day down here, but uh, you know, thank you so much for having us on, on the cafe. We're just sitting here with our lattes this morning and just chilling and uh, relaxing. And we're, we're looking forward to having a little conversation and talking about Nail the Sale and talking about helping entrepreneurs win daily. And you know, so many entrepreneurs just are so passionate about products and their services, but quite frankly, they lack the sales skills to get the business going daily to keep their business going and making sure there's a money in the bank to pay the bills. Well, that sounds very um, interesting um, because I think sales is a skill that not everybody has. Um, you would find that a lot of people are quite good, um, you know, sort of coming up with innovative ideas and how they would like to change the world. Um, but then not a lot of people know how to sell. I mean, I know I'm guilty of that. I'm not a good saleswoman, um, even though I do have a big, you know, good poker face. But before I even talk about all of that, you've got latte. Where did you get your latte from? You know, it's like, it's one of those places where you get chopped out of cafe if you bring your own drinks. We have an amazing kitchen in our house. <laughs> We'd start with a good, uh, some good Arabica coffee. We do our own grind. We do our own pour over. We do our own blends. We do our own steaming. And I'll tell you what, it's the best drink you can get. No, no one can even touch it out there, uh, you know, out in the, the coffee shops of the world. Hopefully your cafe won't kick us out for bringing in our own drink. Well, I'm trying to not get upset. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Okay, well, seeing as you did it in your own house as opposed to my competition, then that's fine. We can just sort of let it pass, let it slide today. Thank you. Thank, Thank you, you for the grace. <laughs> okay, so what are you having with your um, cafe, um, your coffee? What do you, your latte, what do you normally have with it? I'm a scone person, man. Give me some blueberry scones, some uh, orange scones. I, I love my scones. Do you have scones for us today? Um, well, it's a virtual cafe, and I have a very Star trek kitchen, so anything you can imagine, I've got it, but I would do you one better. Instead of just normal, you know, um, scones, I would do cream teas, right? So with um, clotted cream from Devon and some strawberry jam to go to make a nice cream teas with your latte. What does that sound like? Delicious. Fabulous. You know, we make the best cream teas ever in my Virgil Cafe, and we have futuristic cut as clotted cream from Devon and Cornwall. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good to me. I know, but that's the beauty of a virtual cafe. It's like you're literally limited by your imagination. Right now, I can just about taste the clotted cream in my mouth. I think I'll mm. go and get myself one soon as well. But anywho, so you guys, sales, how do you guys do yourselves? Like, Tell me about your story before you became, you know, such professionals. Well, it's kind of interesting. Um, 
Rick and I have separate backgrounds in sales. I actually got my start uh, selling Cutco knives door to door. That was my first job, if you will, out of college at a university. And um, after that, I found myself in nonprofit. Then I ended up at a big retail giant uh, here in the States called McDonald's Corporation. And um, after a stint of needing to take care of my dad, I found myself kind of um, wondering how I was going to reinvent myself. And I got my first real inside sales job uh, selling for a software company in Cincinnati, Ohio. And that's where I met Rick, who, uh, who was my sales trainer. But that's kind of how we got our, our start uh, together in sales. And uh, we were there for almost seven years, I suppose. And, um, but we were always entrepreneurs. We've always had this entrepreneurial heart and um, multiple businesses along the way that we've owned and been successful with. And um, our passion is just that helping that struggling entrepreneur um, make their way in the world. Right, okay. And so from meeting your, your sales trainer, how, what, part, what parts of, what time did you guys get married? Because I noticed you've got the same surname. Yeah, we've uh, we've uh, we are going to be celebrating our fifth uh, wedding anniversary here in May. Nice, congrats! Thank yes. you. Yes, yes, yes. You know, we work together. It's twenty four seven. We work together and play together. Mm, I know, which is I'm just quite because I, I can be cheeky at times, you know. So, who made the first move? I know we're supposed to be talking about business and whatnot, but I'm just nosy. <laughs> Uh, you did. I think I did. Yeah, we were golfing. Yep. Yep. I made the first move. He kissed me on the golf course. Oh, well. He also proposed on the golf course. How cool is that? Nice, nice. But we did not nice. get married on the golf course. <laughs> no. You did? No, we did, we not. did not. No. <laughs> that would have been amazing. A good story for the grandkids. <laughs> for sure, for sure. Absolutely. Right. Okay. Well, now I will keep my curiosity um, to the side. Um, so, um, Ray, how did you start up, or how did you become a sales trainer? Yeah, you know, um, I've got 30 plus years in sales, you know. Like, like Nancy, my very first job right out of college was selling uh, in, an insurance door to door. And um, I've always been in some type of sales roles. And uh, I've had a series of companies, and um, I've just always uh, enjoyed doing the business, you know. And um, well, after I took a, a rather hard beating in a in a in a business uh, venture of mine, I ended up in corporate America, and I got hired up with a startup uh, software company. And in a matter of about a a year, I got three promotions, and I was all of a sudden onboarding a, a couple hundred uh, sales reps, you know. Uh, for this company. And it's just, it's a natural thing. If you have a teacher's heart, you're passionate about the topic. Uh, the content is really easy. Yeah, that makes, that makes sense. Um, a lot. So, um, okay. So you guys then started and you've done a number of businesses and if I'm not mistaken, you've re written a book. Um, do you also offer sales training or is it just in the book right now? What are you guys up to? Yeah, sure. Uh, nail the sale. You know, we, um, 
we, we started with the podcast because that was just something that we were passionate about getting all this content that we have out, just putting it out there, you know? And then as we were building the, our podcast, we, we had enough content that we should be putting this in a book form. And uh, so we are active sales coaches. Uh, we've uh, helped uh, several clients uh, with uh, our coaching. It's kind of like uh, when you go to the grocery store and you can buy one, get one, you know, the BOGOs. I don't know if you have those in London, but those are really popular here in the States. But when you hire Rick and Nancy, it's a BOGO. You get the two of us. We each come at sales uh, very differently, but we both have uh, significant results in the sales industry. So when we... Yeah, so when we consult with people and we coach people, they're getting two different perspectives and um, we just try to help them uh, with their voice, not ours. Right, so how exactly, what, um, what's the way? What point of view do you come from, Rick? And what point of view do you come from, Nancy? Well, yeah, my point of view is um, if you're familiar with uh, the personalities and you know the DISC personalities, I'm more of a high D personality that it's, um, if I'm not getting results and winning, I'm not a happy camper, that's my gas. So it, for me, it's for everybody needs to get into action. They need to get in activity. There's no more sitting around and doing analysis paralysis. It's, it's get out there and fail and fail immediately. And um, I, 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 I don't soften it. I'm, I'm pretty straightforward and I'm, um, you know, I don't, um, I'm a very transparent person. I hold my emotions on my sleeve. You know exactly what I'm thinking by just looking at my face. And, and it's kind of interesting that I come from such a different perspective. To me, everything that we do in life is sales, but in the end, it's about a changed life. So providing someone the skills that, you know, they have a solution that someone else needs and helping them see that they could change someone else's life, somebody else's business, if they'll share their passion correctly. Okay, okay. Um, right, so now I'm, I do lots of, I have lots of, lots of different hats, right? But the easiest one that I'm going to put, you know, is I'm an author, right? And I think a lot of authors struggle with sales, right? Because again, you know, you're creative, you're, you know, you're, the things that you find passionate or you're passionate about is writing, um, you know, your book, you know, getting those voices to stop talking in your head once you get it down on paper. So you'll find that a lot of authors don't know how to sell their books. So how would you go take someone who is obviously useless at selling to make them a sales guru? You know, I think part of that we, we address in um, podcast number three, and that's really, it, it's about, think of being a parent. You are trying to convince your daughter or your son that they have to have certain behaviors. You're selling, you're selling your child on this is how we're supposed to act in society. So understanding that you're really already selling every single day, you've, you've put your passion down on paper and now you, you know, you have an ebook or you have a paperback book and you're sharing that passion. That's all you're doing is sharing. It's not really selling, but it is selling. Does that make sense? A little bit, a little bit. Here, I'll tell you what, here's, here, and here's a perspective that I come from. If you're an author trying to sell your book, uh, who's the audience that you're trying to sell it to, okay? Most people 
you know, if you're writing a book to be a bestseller, you're one in a million. But if you write a book to wrap it around your business, that gives you a higher level of authority. Okay. So if, if you're a, a person that wrote a book and you're looking to sell books, you know, it, it's more of a challenge. But if you're a business owner that's written a book with regard to your business, now you're going after your target audience. And uh, so now you're being way more targeted. Like, uh, and, and, and that way it just kind of, it helps you hone in on who you're talking to. If you're trying to talk to the universe, you're going to fail significantly. You need to talk to the niche that you're going after. And when you've developed and clearly identified who your niche is, you're halfway home. I can oh, totally relate to that. Yep. And then you have to be quiet when you talk to people. <laughs> You don't sit there and show up and throw up and tell them about your book for an hour and a half and they said two words. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I can totally relate to you because I know that when I first started and then someone would say, who is your book for? I would go, well, it's for everybody. I mean, come on, why wouldn't anyone want to read my book, right? Right. <laughs> and then, you know, I've been writing since, so for two and a half years, two and a bit years. And then, you know, as time progresses, you go, you realize that actually, no, my book is not for everyone. Yeah, come on, you know, Shegalala, right? You know, the sun doesn't rise and set in your backside. Yes, you think your book is all that and a bucket of Kentucky Fried Chicken. But seriously, it's not for everyone. And then, so that's, I can totally relate to that. And I think a lot of first-time authors, they have that, for lack of a better word, arrogance. Because you think, I've taken my time to create this masterpiece. Who would not want to read what I've written? Like, seriously, <laughs> it's for the whole world. You know, right. it's so funny that you say that because we went at it at a, at a way that I, I, the way that we look at uh, the books that we write, it's, a, it's, a, it's an expanded business card is really what it is. And, and now that we have author after us, when we meet with people and we, sh we share our book with a, a potential client, our level of authority has risen significantly if he's interviewing other coaches because quite frankly, people don't put the time and the effort to put a, a book together. And it, it's not a rocket science. I did not write a book to be a, um, a literary, um, you know, best-selling author. That, that wasn't my approach. My approach was to build a business. Yeah. No, that, that you know what, that totally makes sense. Uh, because most times when people start writing, right, it's literally, you know, my one is I, I'm an accidental author. I didn't plan on becoming an author. It just sort of happened through a series of unplanned events that got me to becoming, you know, an author. So when I first pressed publish on Amazon, I was kind of like, oh, okay, so let me just, you know, the first minute I was just thinking people would automatically discover my book. You know, I had no <laughs> plan, no idea. Um, it was just, oh yes, I'm an author now. Um, but then obviously the more I've been talking to people and it then sort of, yes, it's, it gives you credibility when you then use it as an extension of your business card. So this is me just concurring with everything that you're saying because it's just stuff that I've discovered, you know, along the line, um, just by virtue of starting off being extremely arrogant thinking. And then when I pressed pl uh, uh, publish, right? And then it went live and there I was thinking, Yes, okay, so now I'm going to start making my millions, right? I was just I was sitting down there and I, was, I kept refreshing my KDP dashboard because I was just expecting the sales to just keep rolling in. And obviously, within the first hour, I was quite deflated. And then <laughs> within the first hour, hours, that's funny. 
<laughs> you know, I, I, this was how I felt, right? Because I just thought, who wouldn't want to read my book, right? I mean, I've taken the time. I've done the fantastic covers, fantastic illustrations. I've done so many things. Who wouldn't, right? I just thought you put it on Amazon. Amazon just sends an email blast to their millions of customers all over the world. You need to buy this. And I just thought, ka-ching! Right. That's it. And I think you touched on something that folks think that they want to blast it to the entire world. But in today's society where we are just inundated with information, the nichier you are, the more successful you're going to be. And whether that's, you know, being an author or a podcaster, even an entrepreneur, when you really fine tune the audience that you're meant for, you're going to kill it. You're going to rock it. Yes. No, definitely. So what I would like to know from you guys is how does an author then find their niche, right? Because uh, one of my books, right, when I was, when I, because my book is not a conventional type of fiction. So when someone was, you know, reading, the, uh, writing a review, I looked at it and I just thought, actually, my book is not for you. So someone who's starting out, right, you know, you're the professionals. Let's say an author comes and says to you, you know what, Nick and Nancy, um, Nick, Rick and Nancy, I just started out, you know, how do I define my audience? You know, how do I target them? Where do I find them? You know, what would you say? How would they, like, imagine they do a fiction. Because I think with business and nonfiction, it's actually quite or relatively easier to have your audience than it is with fiction. Oh, uh, there's no, there's no question about that. But even if it was a fiction book, it was still written with an audience in mind. It wasn't written. It, uh, it might be fiction or nonfiction, but still, at the end of the day, it was written for a particular, uh, a particular segment of people, whether they're teens or uh, millennials or you know baby boomers, or it was still written with with somebody in mind, uh, maybe as gender driven or whatever. But it, so there's still going to be that market focus that you're going to have, whether it's fiction or nonfiction. So that's the very first place that we start is like, tell us who, who, who your audience is. Who, who are you trying to go after? And you come up with that audience by saying to yourself, what was the mindset I had when I was writing? You know, was I writing this thinking back to, to myself and my, my teens? Was I thinking about myself in my 20s? You know, was I thinking about myself as a parent? So now you're, you're narrowing your audience, you know, do I want to target 10, uh, 10 to 20 year olds? Do I want to target only those folks that are teenagers? Do I only want to focus on brand new moms? You know, maybe it's 25 to 35 and then you narrow down your geographic audience. So do I want to reach folks just in the UK? Do I want to reach folks in, in the Northeastern part of the United States? So now I start narrowing down, where is my audience? Who, who is going to relate to this based on the, the geography that the fictional book is talking about? See, now, it's quite interesting you say that, right? But then, in my short career as an author, right, and considering that, you know, I was an accidental author, I didn't, you know, plan to become an author, so I didn't even have an idea, I didn't research, I just started writing, and next thing I had a book in front of me, right? So, in my unprofessional experience, I came to realize that there are different types of audiences, right? And well, I'm probably I'm not saying this the correct way, but there is, or there are different types of, okay, ignore that. Let me start again. So there is a reader who is a buyer. 
there is a buyer who is not a reader and there is a buyer who's a reader so a reader who is a buyer it's just think of the average adult then a buyer who is not a reader possibly a parent um, possibly um, a library and then there is a reader who is not a buyer children for instance right so well in my mind because again i'm not professional and that's why at the beginning i thought well everyone right you need to then be able to reach say you want your books to be stocked in libraries you need to then be able to reach a librarian but then the librarian would not necessarily be interested in the content because they're not coming at it from their own personal point of view um so then you need to then get convinced the buyer who is not the reader to want to buy your book then you've got the reader who is the buyer who you want to convince to buy and read your book and then you've got the reader who is not a buyer who you want to convince to contact the buyer who is not the reader to buy their book so that they can does that make sense at all or am i just trying to do you no, that no well you, here's what's funny you still have three buckets of people you're going to have three different approaches for all three of those th three of those groups and really i i just wrote an ebook called grinding and as a new author, you should be grinding. You should be grinding every day. Sometimes, like you said, when you write the book, well, you write the book and they will come, right? It and, doesn't happen. And it doesn't happen. So what you need to do is you need to figure out those three buckets that you're after. Who are the top five? Who are the top five groups in each one of those buckets that you want to attack? And then define a marketing strategy for each one of those groups in each one of those buckets of, of folks that you want to go after. And then what you do is you grind and you grind and you grind. You have an email campaign, you have a drip campaign, you have a direct mail campaign, you, you mail out your books, you send out the eBooks, and you are after it. And you, you, you work it diligently. There's no nights, there's no weekends, and if you really wanna get your book out there, that's when you get busy. After you write the book, everybody wants to sit down and just now, okay, it's yeah, done. Writing the book's the easy part. Writing the book is the easy part as opposed to getting it in people's hands and getting it read and getting the recognition that you're looking for. So you see all this thing you said about grinding, it just went over my head. Because all I'm just thinking is grinding is a type of dance movement. So can you please explain <laughs> it? Actually, grinding is something that you do in the coffee shop. <laughs> <laughs> well, yes, there's that as well. <laughs> so please explain yeah. grinding like this. in simple English. <laughs> he, he, um, he uses the term grinding. It, it's your marketing plan. It's how do you want to get the book into people's hands? How many touches are you willing to make? What kind of social media campaign do you have? Are you out at networking events, meeting folks, and finding out if they need your book? So it's like this. It's relentless persistence. <sighs> okay. It sounds like a lot of hard work. It is. It is. <laughs> Seriously, it is a lot of hard work. And you know what? You guys are totally right. Um, writing is the ease of it because I actually found that out myself because when I started thinking, oh, okay, so it's been 24 hours and the one sale that I had was from my daughter's godmother. Um, <laughs> That's then, awesome. And then the second sale was my other friend who I said, please go and buy my book. Um, and then it was kind of like, so what is going on? And then I started researching like, what am I doing wrong? You know, because I just thought once I pressed publish, that's it. I would be rolling in the millions, you know, and 
yeah so then i started and then that's when i realized actually you know what you need to have all these different strategies not everybody's going to like your book and and then there's the different ones where people go oh yes it's all about reviews and then you just oh, and it's just you just think seriously yeah so your your book should have its own facebook page your book should probably have a linkedin page you should your book should be you know connecting with folks on twitter and you you have to reach out to the people in your niche based on however you've defined your niche and maybe you look at maybe you look at someone who's written a book similar to yours and find out who their niche is that's not your niche your niche is who they're not covering and then you start trying to have communications with those folks via social media and you create a following or a community that starts talking about your book well i want to um agree with you and also disagree with you a little bit so um i would use patents for instance right so patents, you know, it's like literally who goes there, you know, first, and their level of success is exponential in the sense that, you know, when they first start off, it's a very small, linear, um, upward curve. And then as time goes on, then the curve sort of goes higher up and higher up, right? And then when the patent expires and it's free food for all, and then you have all these other opportunistic uh, companies coming out there and just think paracetamol for instance they don't then have that latent period because the first company who owns the patent has done all the legwork for them so they just sort of come in and take you know the the uh, customers of the you know of the parent company but then the parent company might then have people who are specifically loyal to them so that's why you might find people who would say i would only ever take panadol i wouldn't take paracetamol even though Panadol is paracetamol, right? Um, so <laughs> I think this is really cheeky of me, right? So um, I just learned that, and this is what some I read somewhere else. It's like, go and study what your competition are doing, because then you can get something from them. So one other thing that I did read, you know, was that choose a platform that you can, because the approach you would use in different platforms are different. So the way you would interact with people on linkedin would be totally different to the way you would interact with people on say twitter for instance or facebook right for sure yeah. sorry yes for, yeah, sure. for sure so for me twitter was the easiest thing to do right so i sort of just cut all the other ones out i just focused my energy on twitter and then they say go and see what your competition are doing right so i'm really cheeky should i even say this where everybody's listening so people who write in the same genre as me I go on their Goodreads page and then I try to befriend a lot of their, their followers, right? Because in my head, it's like, well, if you like this person who writes this type of book, that's like 50% of the battle because there's a possible chance that you could like what I'm writing as opposed to going to try and find somebody who's in a completely different genre as I am, right? So I think that's where it sort of contrasts to what you said about um you know finding people who are in your niche but then looking for different people than i can remember how you said it but yeah that was yeah i was sort of agreeing but then disagreeing a little bit because that's the uh information someone along my recesses of my mind that i had read that said you should do yeah you know it's funny in, in this business there's really no silver bullet 
that you do every time that is, you know, that works every single time. It, 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 it doesn't work that way. So I think it's a, a it's a continuation of, of all the above, quite frankly. And that's, that's where I go back to that whole, um, you know, continued persistence and uh, you, you're going to, you work smarter as it, as it, as it go along. And, you know, when we wrote our second book, it was, it was a lot easier of a process on the second book than it was on the first book. And then when you write the third one, it's going to be, you're going to market it differently because of what you learned on the first two. So it's just a, it's a continuum. No, that definitely makes sense though. Um, and one of the things that I've learned as well is that it's better to start building your platform before you even have your first book written rather than writing your book before you start building your platform. I agree. Agree. hundred percent agree on that. Okay. So again, this is me talking from my non-expertise ways, you know, so what else, what else, you know, should, should people be looking out for? What is, tell us one easy thing that an author can do. The one easy thing that an author author can do, geez. Um, Other than writing, of course. Hire a publicist. <laughs> you know, even when you self-publish, hiring yourself a publicist will, will bring so many new ideas to the table as, as a, as a uh, especially as a first-time author, you wouldn't have a clue on. Hiring a publicist that, that knows the in and out and have been in the industry a long time or even having a mentor alongside you really goes a long, long way. If you don't have a publicist or a mentor, man, you're going to get beaten up pretty good early on. See, now that is, that is quite true, though. But then I was reading or I heard, so this is me, right? Sort of almost counteracting everything you say. Just because I've heard, I've read loads of different um, you know, opinions out there. And there's, it's such a minefield trying to figure out, you know, which one is the best option um, for you. And I know that hiring a publicist, especially when you're a poor author, right, is really expensive. And someone was saying that a publicist is not a salesperson. So the actions that your publicist would be bringing or the things that they would be doing might not convert to sales immediately. So it would almost be like the sales, your publicist isn't really doing anything because whatever it is the person is doing is not directly converting to sales immediately, if that makes sense. Well, you know, it's just like anything else. When you hire a professional to be a part of your team, because you're not going to just be this island, you're building a team. The most successful people in the world have a team. Even if you're a poor a poor author, you can still be a bootstrapper. And a bootstrapper is a poor person that gets very creative. You know what? When we hired a publicist, you know, we 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 felt very comfortable with their track record and uh, their ability to to do well with uh, new authors. And um, and you just keep and you keep you keep a monitor on them. And quite frankly, it's not as expensive as as you might think. You know, uh, you can find a, a publicist, you know, you're going to get what you pay for. But, you know, if you interview them and you tell them specifically what you're looking for, if you just give them the green light to go and do whatever they want, yeah, you're probably not going to be spending your, your money as well as possible. But if you give them a very clear target of what you're trying to accomplish, accomplish and give them a very clear idea what the end looks like for you, that's going to help you build a much better relationship with somebody that's going to assist you in getting your book 
out there to people who will write you a check for your words. Okay, see, that makes sense. But as let's say a first time author, right? That person would be coming from the point of view of, um, you know what, I want to get money from my book. You know, I want to recover, recover the cost of you know publishing um my book but then a publicist is not a sales agent right so what are the sort of tasks or goals that you know um an author could set to a publicist so maybe it's um really what you're looking for is someone that has skill sets that you don't mm. and some publicists are sales folks they are going to make sure that you have book signing uh, opportunities. They're going to make sure that you have speaking opportunities. They're going to put together a marketing calendar. Maybe they're in charge of all of your social media. You're looking for someone that, like Rick said, can be on your team and that has skill sets that you don't. Now, that, that actually makes sense, but it said something new that I didn't realize is that some publicists can be sales agents. That, that's actually new to me. I just thought publicists, they just do a lot of publicity campaign for you. Um, and some might get you on podcast shows um, and, you know, interviews and stuff. That's what I think, you know, a publicist does. Well, you know, it, you think about this. The gentleman that we hired, you know, he's been a, a publicist for 20, 25 years. But he was primarily in his early career, he was a booking agent for musical acts. And he was to book them at venues. And I'll tell you what, that's selling. That's hardcore selling. You know, you're not just going to share a, you know, a, a song with a, a potential uh, venue that's going to book them. You're selling that group. So some publicists can definitely get their hand in there. I think if a publicist just sends out 10 emails with 10 links and then waits for people to, to reply, no, that, they, they suck. <laughs> Ah, okay. Okay. Well, I'm learning. I'm definitely learning something new today. Um, okay. Right. So, <laughs> I threw you a curveball on that one, didn't I? <laughs> yes. <laughs> because, you know, they, all the you talk to today, just like, oh, yes, but we're not sales agents. We're supposed to be bringing you publicity. And then it's that publicity that would indirectly convert to sales at a later date. And you're just kind of like, oh, okay, so I'm just going to spend money and give you guaranteed income. But then I can't, you know, there is no way for me to measure what you're doing or what I'm getting in return. No, you're, you're absolutely correct. There are some things, some activities that they do that you really cannot measure with your bottom line. Like, for instance, uh, the, the gentleman that we work with, he's done a really good job with our social media. He's really made our social media posts more attractive, uh, they're more widely read, and we've had a spike in the downloads of our Nail the Sale podcast. So, but that doesn't necessarily translate to paid coaching clients yet. No, but then you can actually see, you know, um, what's the word I'm looking, you can see something constructive, you can see something tangible, in yes. terms that, you know, you can see the number of downloads, because when you see number of downloads increase, then it means that more people are aware of who you are and what you do, which in Absolutely. itself is a good thing, isn't it? Yep. Hello? 
Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> For a little second, the line, the line went silent. You know, the little human, she's here and she's playing some, what's this one now, stereo color and things. So I'm trying to not let her color game um, interrupt what you guys are saying. Oh, it's fine. Just a part of being at a cafe. Exactly. You know what? And I just find, and you know, I'm glad you guys are still understanding because some people just don't understand that. Well, it is a cafe, and they're all going to be all the. I can't even speak properly. They're going to be other people, and children are allowed in cafes. And even though my little human, she's only three, but you know, I'm trying to get her used to the family business. So that at some point in the future, she'll be interviewing guests and going, well, you know, from a five-year-old's point of view, what do you think <laughs> the first thing I need to do in writing my, my bestseller? That's funny. That's great. And we have, uh, our, unfortunately, our puppy is sleeping, so you're not hearing him bark in the background either. Uh -huh. <laughs> That's good. What type of puppy do you have? We got a Labradoodle. Oh, Labradoodle. Yes, he has his own Facebook page, The Adventures of Bentley. Ah, uh -huh. okay, I'm going to. Are you still there? We lost your audio. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Um, okay. I pressed, I pressed mute. I was trying to type the adventures, and I think I just pressed mute by, uh, by what's the word? By habit. Excellent. So okay. the adventures of I can't even spell anymore. Adventures of Bentley. Did you say? Yes. Okay. A picture of a, a brown and white little puppy in a bathtub. And Bentley will be writing his first book here shortly. It should be published by the end of the year. Okay, so what did you say the color of the, your puppy is? He's white and brown. So is that white um, middle down his face? Yes. Yep. Because there are three pages like that. And has he, oh, he's cute. He is. <laughs> we hear that a lot. He actually just got his uh, first uh, modeling gig. Uh, he is now Mr. November in a uh, pet calendar. Oh. He's no, a diva. He's really cute. <laughs> the way yes, he said Labradoodle, right? I was just thinking maybe a cross between, um, I don't even know, a Labrador and something else. A poodle. Standard poodle. Ah. But then he also reminds me of the, and I always forget the breed, right? That was in the mask. What's that breed called? Springer Spaniel. Ah, um, yeah. So he looks quite similar to, to the mask's little dog. Yep. Uh -huh. Interesting. Oh, no, sorry. I'm just getting carried away with his eyes. He's really cute. He is. Okay, yeah, sorry. Yeah, sorry, we got distracted. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, that happens. <laughs> I shouldn't look at cute dogs. I like dogs, but then I wouldn't keep one just because I can't really. It was it was hard enough having to clean after my little human all the time. I just couldn't add someone else or to it. It's hard work. It is hard work for sure. No question about that. But okay, good. So tell me, um, what's the word now? Okay, so we've talked about a lot of things which I think are really, really useful, right? And even though we've talked about it from the point of view of an author, I think a lot of it is transferable to, um, you know, a regular business, right? You know, in terms of, you know, who are your audience? Who is your target market? Um, how are you going to be targeting them? 
what are you doing on social media and whatnot. But then before I actually even ask you for five tips, you know, just to summarize five tips, um, how is a publicist different to a growth hacker? Because that's two terms that I've been hearing of quite um, recently. And I did have somebody who was meant to be a growth hacker come on my podcast, but the person didn't really seem knowledgeable. So I didn't really gain a lot of things from him. So what's the difference between a publicist and a growth hacker? I'm, uh, I'm not familiar with the term of uh, that, the hacker. I'm not familiar with that term. Ah, okay. Well, they're supposed that to... A, this that could be a UK term. Sorry? It might be just a UK term. I'm not familiar with that term. Actually, the person who came is actually based in the United States. It's a term, no. let, me go, let me go on Google. You know, the Oracle that is Google has definitions for everything. So, define growth hacker. And it's something that I've actually seen on Medium and I've seen on other places. Um, so, I've, I had on uh, Google Images. Okay, so I got a Wikipedia. So, here, I'm going to define it the way that we're reading it here on a Wikipedia Okay. Uh, growth, growth hacking is a process of rapid experimentation across marketing channels, marketing channels, product development, sales segments, and other areas of the business to identify the most efficient ways to grow a business. So what's the difference between a growth hacker and a publicist? A publicist is not, is not like experimenting. A publicist knows a plan. Listen, anybody that is a entrepreneur or a business owner or an author for that matter, what you want more than anything else is a guide. You want a guide. And the reason why you want a guide is because they have a strategy. They know where they're going and they're going to take you to the promised land. That's the <laughs> difference between a, a, a publicist and a growth hacker. Growth hacker is going to experiment with a lot of different things. Now, they might hit some home runs, but I, I'd rather go with the, with the person that has the strategy that they're going to say, this is how we're going to attack your business or to grow your brand. Hmm. No, that, that makes sense. That makes sense. But then just out of interest, something else that popped into mind, because um, when you were saying making yourself an expert, so I will tell you about a couple of authors that I'm familiar with that, you know, um, that, that are from my sort of neck of the woods. So um, there's a lady by the name of, what's her name now? Oh, She's supposed to be a feminist. Wait. Oh, geez, I, it's like really embarrassing. That's like, so there are two people that, um, one is, um, escaped my mind. Yes, my finish and you can have some biscuits, okay? Okay, right. So the other one, has, I've forgotten her name now, but the one that came to, comes to mind is uh, Nadia Karafo. But, um, so she writes, and so she's then seen herself become, you know, an expert in Afrofuturistic um, books. Um, and so that's how she's then set herself as an expert. And she goes in TED Talks and science fiction and all of those things. So how is an author, say someone who writes romance, right? And first time romance author, there are a lot of romance readers out there. But at the same time, you know, there are a lot of romance authors out there. What does that person have to do to set themselves out as an expert? Well, you know, uh, raising your standard among your peers or in your industry, you, um, you, you, the first place is, you know, getting some uh, recognition within the industry. 
that you're that you're in and the way that you go about that is you know is is get some uh some speaking engagements at some of those types of venues and some of those groups and get yourself known and getting your name out there that that to establish yourself as that voice that you know when something comes up in that genre or in that space that they're going to think that name first and um you know, that's, again, um, I, I, don't, I don't know if there's a silver bullet for this because I think there's several ways that you could probably attack it. If you ask 10 different publicists how to do that, you'd probably get 10 different answers. Mm-hmm. Okay. I don't okay. think there's any concrete, concrete, concrete way to establish that, quite frankly. I mean, there's probably a lot of different ways to go about it. Okay. okay. But everybody has a different voice. Yes, no, that's that's true. But it's definitely it's definitely been quite interesting, you know, sort of picking brains with you guys. So, okay, five things you would um, five useful tips and techniques you would give to business owners, entrepreneurs, mompreneurs, uh, authorpreneurs, all the different preneurs that are out there when starting out and they completely do not have a clue. What are your top five tips and techniques you would give to them? Sure. Uh, the first one is you need to identify a, a sales process that if you identify your target, how do you take them from suspect to prospect to customer to client? And that is a sales process and you define a sales process. Actually in our book, that's really the first chapter. Um, actually it's chapter four that we talk about developing a sales process. And then under number two, it's an inside game. This is about, you know, that winning everyday mindset that every single day you have, you make a decision that you're going to win. Now you get beaten up and bloodied some days, but that's, that's history the next morning. And you just have to have that winning attitude every day. Then you have to get used to being uncomfortable. So in, uh, in podcast number 19, we really talk about where you are today is a comfort zone. And then once you stretch yourself out of that comfort zone, now that becomes your new comfort zone and you need to continue to to stretch yourself and get uncomfortable. Then what you have to do is you have to identify, there's, I, I call it a, um, a success triangle, if you will. And there's three points to the triangle. It's behaviors, it's attitudes, and it's techniques. And you have to be hitting all three well to have continued long-term success. Having the proper behaviors on a daily basis to have the proper attitude and then being able to apply the techniques or those, that sales process, if you will, to make sure that you can pull through that business. And then making sure that you have a coach. You, you need a mentor or a coach. You need someone that you can bounce ideas off of you need someone to share uh, your failures with. You need someone that's going to be your cheerleader and your encourager along the way. And it's um, continued uh, personal growth. I mean, if, if you need to be reading, you need to be listening, you, you need to be always uh, sharpening, sharpening your, your approach. So I give you six. I give you yeah, a bonus. That's what I was going to say. Is that five or is that six now? But bravo. <laughs> thank you. Thank you very much. That's, you know, that's been truly um, amazing. So there is no shortcut to being successful. You need to put in the time and effort, basically. 
Yes. No question about that. Well, it's been an absolute, absolute pleasure. Now, you guys are amazing, though, because you can remember each chapter or each episode of your podcast. I can't even remember the title of the podcast I did two weeks ago. <laughs> <laughs> it is. I mean, it's just over time. Over time, you uh, when you reference it enough, they kind of they kind of just stick with you. Ah, I see. Okay, see, because I don't put it as um, numbers for mine. I just have, you know, people come and then I just forget because my brain can't really take much more, um, doesn't have a lot of space to store things. Um, and apparently this baby brain would last for 25 years. So, you know, I'm just milking it for what it's worth. <laughs> there you go. You have the artistic, you got the artistic brain, right? Yes, but there's just no space for new things, you know, so I just keep things as and when I need them, and now I have to use my diary more often, and even then sometimes it lets me down, uh, but yes, I have to write things down because my brain just refuses to store any more information. Well, thank you so much for having us on your show. We're, we're um, extremely grateful and appreciative that you would take the time to, to listen to us all the way over in Tampa, Florida in the United States. No, it's been my absolute pleasure. I've learned something new from you guys um, today and, you know, sort of had other things that I know. Um, re, re, what's the word I'm looking for? Remind, remind me of things that I knew before. So it's been quite an interesting time. So just tell people, what's your book called again? Our book is called Nail the Sale, Sales Training for Entrepreneurs by Rick and Nancy Monzapapa. You can find us on Amazon. Fabulous. And so it's Mumsy Papa, right? I thought it was Muncie. Ah, okay. Where where is your name from? Uh that's Sicilian. Ah. Nice, nice. See, my well, mother my mother was Hungarian and my, my father was Italian. Right. Okay. I'm a hungry Italian. <laughs> that's fine. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure having you guys on the show, and I hope we'll see you again sometime in future. That sounds great. Yeah, we look forward to uh, sharing another coffee with you at the Virtual Cafe. Fabulous. Well, everybody else, it's the Shagilola Salami Show, and until next time, we'll chat again soon. Bye.